Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Wednesday, March 17th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Kiev O'Neill from the Oddsbreakers. We're going to chat some NIT and some NCAA tournament here on today's show. Give you some picks, some betting tips, some angles, breakdowns of some of the matchups, all kinds of good stuff on today's podcast. Lots of good stuff over at ATS.io right now for you to check out. I put up an NIT preview yesterday, previewed all four regions on Monday. So a lot of March Madness content for you to check out over at the website. The 2021 MLB betting guide available for you to check out over there as well. Season is 15 days away. Two weeks from tomorrow is opening day. So make sure you read that guide if you haven't gotten to it yet. Still lots of great information in there. Still very time relevant also. We've had some injuries and stuff like that, but... You know, those are just a fact of life here in spring training. Lots of value, lots of equity from that 2021 MLB betting guide available for free over at ATS.io and also for free on my Twitter page at Skating Tripods, the PDF that you can download for this year's version of the guide. Not forgetting about NBA, NHL. We still have coverage of that over at ATS.io, including my situational betting articles for this week. UFC preview up, golf preview up, NASCAR preview up. Very busy time of the year, but we're covering it all over at ATS.io. And of course, make sure you download the ATS app as well, which you can find in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. It's a bet tracker, an odd screen. You can read all the ATS.io content right there in that app. Make sure you check that out today. With that, we bring on Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers. Chat some college basketball with us here today. And uh, Kiev, how's it going today, man? Well, I'm doing fantastic, Adam. Pounding through this. Staying up late at night, getting up early in the morning, but it's what I love to do, man. I, the NCAA tournament is my favorite time of year. You have so many games. You have so much news about it, so much excitement. So I, I'm on board, man. Well, I guess, you know, O'Neal, I, I know it's afternoon here for me, but maybe I should have said top of the morning to you. Top of the morning, right? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, daylight saving times kind of throws people off a little bit, but at the same time, uh, you know, I barely usually know what time it is anyway. Uh, it's it's almost time for a beer. Let's just say that. Oh, it's always time for a beer. And it's St. Patrick's Day, so, you know, it's it's, ty- it's airport rules on St. Patrick's <laughs> Day for a lot of people out there, to Absolutely. say the least. All right, so let's go ahead and start by taking a look at the NIT, which actually begins tonight with Toledo and Richmond. Toledo, two-and-a-half-point favorite. This one has seen some fairly significant Toledo money uh, throughout the process here. It was Richmond minus one-and-a-half, now Toledo even as high as three at some of the global books out there. St. Mary's two-point favorite, 125 the total for that game against Western Kentucky. Total in the first game, 152, has ticked down a little bit. Before we talk specifically about those two games here tonight, because I know you've got some opinions on those, this year's NIT is, is much, much different. Smaller field, 16 teams instead of 32. And of course, not played at either campus sites or Madison Square Garden, all a neutral setting down in the state of Texas. The Comerica Center in Frisco, the North Texas Coliseum in Denton, where the Mean Green play, and ironically enough, the Mean Green in the NCAA tournament. So that's kind of an interesting thing there. But there were some things you wanted to talk about in terms of an overview here for the NIT first. Well, I I don't like it as much this year as other years. And, and I was texting with Felica the other day, and he brought up a good point. It's like, I wish this was where teams wouldn't opt out of it. You know, like uh, you have some teams that you're, you hope to fade in this tournament because you thought that their hopes were much higher of making the NCAA tournament. 
well, like Duke's not going to be in this Kentucky, you know, it's just a bunch of teams that don't care to get into it. So now we can't fade them. So it, it makes a interesting, you know, story to the rest of the teams and looking at their motivation. There's also not the travel spot. You know, they're all pretty close to the same area here. And you can say the same thing for the NCAA tournament. So it's certainly different here. Number three is I haven't really saw a lot of future odds. You know, I used to like to bet the futures of the NIT tournament. I've hit some of them. Penn State was one of them recently. That was a nice big one. And uh, I, I can't find any. I don't, maybe you found some on DraftKings or some of the books that you use. But, uh, you know, just it, it just all kind of came to us fast. And uh, the whole COVID thing throws a wrench into it as well. So the, I, I'm excited to bet some NAT games. But uh, it, I think the edge is going to be a little bit tougher. Yeah, I, I found some over at DraftKings here. And you got Ole Miss, the favorite, but a 5-1 to one favorite. Memphis plus 550. St. Louis also 550. Colorado State 8, Davidson 9, Boise State 10, and then kind of on down from there. And yeah, usually you like to look for those motivation spots, those teams that you know maybe lost in their conference tournament final, those teams that, you know, look, we don't have any teams really in the NIT this year that are consistently used to going to the NCAA tournament. And, you know, for a lot of teams, falling short of the big dance is a major disappointment. For a lot of these teams here, I think they're just kind of happy to keep playing extra basketball games. And, and I would assume that, you know, because you've got the travel here to Texas, you don't have the big spotlight of Madison square garden. This gets talked about all the time that teams that play in the CBI and the CIT, you know, their athletic departments lose money going to those tournaments. Maybe that's the case here with the NIT this year, although you will have a little bit more television coverage of it. But, you know, I think this year specifically where we did have some teams opt out, I think overall the teams that are here actually want to be here because I would assume the players were polled and sort of asked, you know, hey, do you want to keep playing or not? And and I would guess that a lot of coaches, especially in this COVID year, would respect their kids enough to do that. So in my mind, I would think that most, if not all of these 16 teams are actually excited to be there or at least want to be there. Uh, I'm not sure if I agree with that 100%. I think there's teams like Toledo that I think they really thought they were going to win the MAC tournament. You know, I, they were favored. And then now it's like, oh, where did Ohio come from? It's like Ohio played out of their minds. You know, Preston comes back and what, what a fantastic job they did. Uh, hell, they held Buffalo to 21 points in the first half. Holding a team like Buffalo to 21 points is pretty amazing. But I, I question them a little bit. I think Toledo really thought they were going to be in the big dance. And, and as far as Memphis, man, Memphis was kind of a big scratch to me. And, and I guess by the numbers and how they started off the season, they wouldn't get in based upon a AP poll type situation. But, dude, they just played Houston twice. I mean, the game was all over the place. They had chances to win both games. That first game, Houston hits a a half-court three-pointer. And then the one in the tournament here went all the way down to the wire, and their best player got fouled out when he was being swarmed because of his elbow hit one of the Houston players. I mean, Memphis, if you're losing to Houston two times in a row by two or three points, and Houston is a number two seed, what is going through these kids' thoughts, you know? Uh, to be honest with you, I think Memphis is better than a ton of these at-large teams that are in, Adam. So speaking of that, and we will get back to these Wednesday night games here, but I feel like since we're on the topic right now, 
You mentioned to me before we started recording that there was a play you were looking at here for Saturday. Is it Dayton getting the four and a half there against Memphis? It is Dayton versus Memphis. And I'll tell you right now, I don't have this at four and a half by the numbers. And in good call, this is the game I wanted to put a play in. But I'm looking at the total a little bit more, you know. What's funny about this whole American Athletic Conference, Adam, I, they're terrible at shooting. Do you really think that Memphis is third in the league in all the NCAA in defense, ranking 86.8 defensive adjusted efficiency? No. I mean, like you said, the, the AAC just doesn't have a lot of great shooting teams. And and really the teams that score in that conference generally do so off of offensive rebounds with a, a high percentage of their points. Absolutely, man. And Memphis is a very erratic team too. I can't tell you if they're going to be very motivated here. And I think that's why it's four and a half. Cause I have seven just on pure seven. Maybe Mem- so you could look at it two ways though. Maybe Memphis is going to, put a put a whipping on Dayton because they want to show that they've been in the tournament or maybe their hopes were high in this situation I almost lean more towards the whipping so I'm going to give you a lean on on Memphis here and Dayton's just kind of all over the board they don't play good defense they go on scoring droughts but at the same time they still shoot a 47.9 percent field goal percentage that's pretty good right Memphis plays a lot faster than the teams that they face a lot faster and I think that they're pace their adjusted tempo has been deflated due to this they turn the ball over a ton which allows fast break points i'm looking at the over here because i know dayton's going to be able to put up some points and they're not stopping memphis memphis has a ton of talent on this team and i can see memphis uh scoring a ton of points and maybe where they lay down is a little bit on defense if that's the uh, motivational factor and dayton doesn't play defense here i think this total gets into the 145 range myself adam i think it's a gift at 137 137 and a half i think it's going to move up to i'm taking the the over 137 and a half well and something else that adds a little bit of fuel to your fire there with an overlook in that game is the deeper we get into the nit the more teams will start taking this seriously and that usually shows up on the defensive side you know maybe you don't want to be there necessarily but as you start winning games and advancing and having a chance to take home some kind of hardware you start to focus a little bit more early on in the NIT and especially here in the CBI. I don't know when that's going to start, but definitely look for this in the CBI, these early games that, you know, they're not really high pressure, like the games that these teams have recently played in the conference tournaments, closing out the regular season, all of that. These games would generally tend to be at least from a, you know, from the atmosphere, from the environment, these would generally tend to be higher scoring games early on in these lesser postseason tournaments because these teams want to go out there, these players want to go out there and put up numbers. You know, they want to go out there and try and pad their stats to be able to play overseas or get noticed for the NBA draft or get picked up as a free agent and sent to the G League or whatever else. So a lot of times these games are a little bit quicker from a tempo standpoint, are a little bit higher scoring. And I do think that with a team like Memphis that, you know, as you said, maybe their defensive profile a little bit fraudulent because of the conference that they're in. It wouldn't shock me if they do get into a little bit more of a track meet type of game here with Dayton. So I think you're on the right track there with that. And just throwing that out there as kind of a blanket statement of, you know, and we see this in in the NHL, for example, you know, late in the year, two teams that aren't playing for anything. They play a high scoring game, NBA, same thing. The, The less pressure, the less focus and engagement there is in a game, 
the higher scoring it's typically going to be. So we could see, you know, a pretty good run of overs here in the first round of the NIT, and I wouldn't be surprised. Absolutely. And you're, when both teams are turning over the ball at 21.4% of the time, ranking 291st for Dayton and Memphis, 22.4% of the time, ranking 324th, that's just going to add to the scoring as well. You know, fast break turnovers type situation. They're going to play sloppy, but they're also playing for points. It's kind of like an NBA All-Star game in a way, but I, I love the over. So I'm glad we have some agreement. All right, so let's circle back to these Wednesday night games here tonight. Only two games, Toledo-Richmond, the first one. As I said, this went up to three in some of the global markets. Total down a couple of points from 154 to 152. And Toledo, a team that will chuck it from anywhere. They don't really care. They love to play an offensive style of basketball. They'll shoot threes. They'll take twos. They'll get to the rim. They'll do all kinds of different things on the offensive side. Richmond, a little bit different of a team here coming out of the A-10. I do think they're a well-coached team with Chris Mooney, but at the same time, you sort of wonder about Richmond's engagement level here in this tournament where they looked like a team that was on track to maybe be in that at-large discussion. Then they lose three games at the end of the year. The St. Joseph's lost in the regular season, inexcusable. They lose to Duquesne in their first game of the A-10 tournament. You just wonder here for Richmond, a team that's had some COVID pauses and some other issues throughout the year, if they're all that invested in this game. And it looks like from the activity we've seen in the betting markets, uh, the market doesn't seem to think the spiders will show up here. Yeah. And I question both sides a little bit. Imagine beating Kentucky your second game of the season, right? And then you win a couple more games. You do drop one to West Virginia, but then you beat Vanderbilt, which is at least a power five conference. And then you beat Loyola, you know, you're, you're feeling pretty good about yourself coming in. Right. Uh, I think that they're out after the Hofstra lost and then they lose to the Bonnies and then they're up and down. And then they had this horrible finish at the end here. I don't know how seriously Richmond took the fact that they could make the NCAA tournament here, but I think Toledo's the one that I'd be worried about here. Cause I really think Toledo uh, thought they were the best in the Mac. And I mean, if you look at the rankings, they are the best in the Mac, according to the, the Ken Palms, the Torvix, the Haslametrics type sites. So uh, as far as what I'm concerned here, there's two big questions, the motivation for Toledo and is Blake Francis and Grant Golden going to play for Richmond? Those are their two best players. And so that's why you're seeing this thing go towards Toledo because some betters are looking at it as a free roll. I mean, if two of, uh, two Richmond's best players aren't playing and I get confirmation and I can still get a three, I'm going to pound it. You know, the, the one thing that I, I kind of wonder about here is, you know, I just talked about it with a lot of these games kind of being higher scoring in nature. I think that plays well to what Toledo wants to do offensively. So I think there's also part of that, but it could be, you know, as well, the Richmond injury situations and whether or not those guys actually are able to play. I think this game is really fascinating between Western Kentucky and St. Mary's low scoring expectation here in this one, 125, the total did preview this game over at bangthebook.com this morning, where I'm still doing a little bit of writing. And we talk about questioning motivation and Western Kentucky They were down 17-0 at the start of the Conference USA title game against North Texas. They come all the way back. They wind up losing in overtime by four, 61-57. They held North Texas to, I think, 14 or 17 points or something like that in the second half of that game to get back into it, but they ultimately fall short. And this is a Western Kentucky team that, 
you had pretty lofty expectations coming into the season. For St. Mary's here, blown out three times by Gonzaga, blown out twice by BYU. Not really a big surprise. Randy Bennett's team is down a little bit. But, man, this game tonight, you know, St. Mary's, they're okay with being in the NIT because I don't think they had any delusions about playing in the NCAA tournament. But I think Western Kentucky really expected to win that game against North Texas. And now they find themselves here just a few days after that Saturday loss. This is the one where I think you kind of look at it and you say, okay, is Western Kentucky the least bit excited to be here? (laughs) Yeah, I think that they thought they were coming in to win. One of our good friends was on the North Texas side. I think you know who that was. I, I had some other friends on the Western Kentucky side. I had no part in that game. But the interesting part of this game is that when this thing went to overtime, I don't even think the total was at 100 points yet. And so how do you come back 17 points and then you're still not at a hundred by the time the game ends, right? I mean, how good is conference USA? That, that's my question. I, I've been scratching my head about this for the North Texas game in the, in the NCAA tournament, I believe against Purdue. I mean, we kind of know that the West Co- West coast conference isn't good by any means. I mean, Gonzaga could have beat these teams by 40 to 50 points if they didn't obviously quit with 10 minutes left, but Eric Haslam likes to put a hashtag out and call it analytically final. He stops taking statistics as soon as it's up by a certain amount. And he has a little function for that. The Gales play a very slow game man. swarming defense, but their offense is just flat out horrible and they know it. They are not going to play fast because they know they can't make shots. Western Kentucky plays in a very fast-paced conference, but somehow they're able to slow games down enough to have like a modest uh, 67.8 possessions per game. I think if they're in a slower conference, that would be lower. But as you know, St. Mary's plays in a very fast conference with teams like BYU and Gonzaga and Pepperdine and Santa Clara. I mean, very fast, yet they're still at 63.1 possessions per game. This is going to be similar to that North Texas game, Adam. I'm taking the under. I'm taking under 125.5. It's down to 125 now. I still like it. The total that I came up in my numbers is at 120. So I'm playing it for a couple stars. You know, the more I thought about this game, the more I kind of like Western Kentucky, simply because I look at them, and, and again, like I talked about earlier, I think there were some serious questions posed to these teams of do we boys, do we really want to go do this? Do we really want to go play and extend our seasons here in the state of Texas? And I think Western Kentucky, maybe it was emotionally driven coming off of that loss in the conference USA title game, but they had to have said yes. And you know, this is a team that look, I mean, they beat Alabama earlier on in the year. They beat Memphis earlier on in the year. They have a ceiling. They have an upside. I don't know if St. Mary's has that, But also, Western Kentucky has the best player in this game, and that's Charles Bassey. And Mm -hmm. that's something I think matters. In in these lesser postseason tournaments, if you've got the best player, that guy can take over the game. And if you're somebody like Bassey, for example, you know, look, I mean, this is a good opportunity for you against a historically good defensive team, not this year as much, but just overall a very good St. Mary's defensive team that – you know, you've got a chance to make some impressions here on some scouts, on the people that are following and watching this. So to me, I think Western Kentucky with the best player, with, you know, maybe a chip on their shoulder, trying to make, you know, salvage something out of the postseason here. I kind of like them a little bit getting the two. And I think that because 
this line has not moved, when all the situational angles look to be against the Hilltoppers, I think maybe some other people out there kind of feel the same way. Man, I think you're talking me into making a play on Western Kentucky here. Fantastic points. This guy's trying to make it to the next level. I mean, his teammates, is they're going to help him here. That's the whole point of this, man. Great. And the fact that it doesn't get to three and you, the, the resistance is there when the whole idea is that they don't want to be there, it says a lot, man. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that they could be a good play here, especially just, you know, if it doesn't get to three, take a money line shot on them, right? Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, anything else on the NIT before we move on to the NCAA tournament? No, no, not yet. Uh, you know, I'm taking it game by game, day by day, seeing if any news pops up. It would suck to have to bet on a team and uh, their best player gets COVID, yet they're still going to play. So, you know, the NIT, uh, I'm going to still try to hunt for some futures. Apparently you found some. So uh, I'm not super excited about it this year, but I, I think you're going to find a little bit more value in some of these games until – the day of so uh, when just real quick the public will move these lines in the ncaa and it's going to be the day of the games really it's going to come in hard and it doesn't really happen too much throughout the season as we know uh, maybe some of the main games a little bit but it hasn't been that significant but you're going to see some line moves and i'm waiting on some you know so it, it just just kind of take that with a grain of salt if you have a number especially if it's a if it's a smelly dog that you don't think anyone's going to be on just wait it out a little bit that's that's my advice well and that is a really interesting talking point here as we transition to the ncaa tournament where these numbers came out sunday night for selection sunday and they've had a lot of time to marinate and, and we don't get that in college basketball normally you know maybe now you kind of get a spotlight game posted 24, 36 hours beforehand in the regular season, something like that. But here for the first round games and the play-in games coming up on Thursday, these numbers have been up for four, five, six days by the time these games actually go off. And that's something unique to this time of the year in college basketball. So that's something you definitely want to follow along with. And with that in mind here, we'll talk real quickly about the first four, the play-in games, see if you have any opinions on those, but App State up from two and a half to three against Norfolk State. Drake now the favorite market wide against Wichita State in the minus one and a half range. And it does seem like Hemphill will play, which is probably the catalyst behind that line move. The total has also gone up in that Drake Wichita State game. Mount St. Mary's taking money as well as the under against Texas Southern. That's a big time pace war game. And then UCLA and Michigan State. UCLA opened a short favorite at most places. Now Michigan State as high as minus two and a half in the market with the total coming down a point and a half, two points in that one as well. So what do you think here? Any, any thoughts on any of these first four games on Thursday night? You know, the I was looking at Norfolk State more, but there's a lot of smart people that seem to be on Appalachian State. From what I'm finding out, and I'm, I'm not sure why, I know Ken Palm and some other you know, efficiency sites have them pretty closely rated. I guess it's a conference thing to me, but the Atlantic Sun, uh, I don't think they're that good, man. Uh, that conference, uh, I'm sorry, why they call it the Atlantic the Sun Belt. Yeah, I don't think the Sun Belt is that good. You know, if, if you look at what Appalachian State did in their non conference, uh, Bowling Green, they, they played pretty well, but we found out Bowling Green's not that good of a team. Tennessee blows them out by like 40 points. 41 points they play auburn which is a down team this year they lose by 14 you know uh they don't i don't i don't see any great wins for them you know and then all of a sudden they they're terrible at the end of the season they lose 
six out of their last seven games only to get to this tournament and shoot out of their minds. So that happens. Oh, you saw it with Georgetown. You saw it with Oregon State, right? But I'm just not buying them as much, you know. And if you look at Norfolk State, I mean, Norfolk State is the better shooting team. They, they're better at shooting percentage, three-point percentage. You know, they're better at rebounding the ball, and they're better at defense. But how good is the MEAC, man? That's, that's what everyone's saying. In my opinion, at the three, I'm going to lean to Norfolk State on this one, Adam. And it's not really a game that I've had too many thoughts on, but yeah, you know, and that was something that Brian Blessing talked about on uh, yesterday's show is that, you know, when you start looking at, at these conferences and sort of how they're performing early on in the tournament, you know, you generally get some opportunities to fade that conference as we go forward, but also Appalachian state, like you said, I mean, they were not a good team in Sunbelt play. They just got hot at the right time. And you know, are they able to sustain that and kind of keep that level up over not playing now for several days? I don't know. To me, I think it's a very difficult thing for a team to do that didn't really have a whole lot of expectations anyway. So I think it's a really good question that you pose there with regards to the Mountaineers. And that Norfolk State-Appalachian State game, the winner of that is done because they play Gonzaga in the, in the first round of the NCAA tournament. <laughs> but with that in mind here, taking a look at the West region, Gonzaga, the number one seed on uh, odds on fair, I think they're minus 210 to win this region and get to the final four. And I do like that bet for what it's worth. I think FanDuel had that. I'm not sure uh, if that line has since moved. Doesn't look like it has. But that's the thing about this co- or about this region, Kiev, is that I look at it and I, I'm not – impressed I, I i don't see any team that really has a super high ceiling or a team that i think can consistently go out there and play well enough to win you know three games to get to the elite eight and then you know take their chances against gonzaga so you're saying that norfolk state is not the baltimore maryland retrievers right no they're not the baltimore town <laughs> no they're not going to pull a umbc all right i don't think we have uh, a umbc <laughs> this year I don't think so either, man. But uh, yeah, Gonzaga was gifted this uh, quadrant because of the travel thing. I mean, there's no travel advantage, so why not give the number one seed the best that you can give? You give them three teams that they already beat this year. You know, in my opinion, that a lot of people say, oh, that's great for Gonzaga. Gonzaga knows how to beat them. Well, I think that's more, to be honest with you, more of an advantage for the other teams. I mean, it's hard to quantify, but if you look at two teams that have about the same amount of talent in any sport, one team gets blown out. They kind of saw that team and played against them and can come back a little bit and figure something out. I mean, that's just the general way of thinking it. So, but in my opinion, you have the weakest number three seed in Kansas that who knows who's playing for Kansas with all their COVID issues. Uh, you have Iowa who lost Nungi. Wise Camp is beat up as a number two seed, right? And I watched that Gonzaga-Iowa game. Iowa just can't hang with them. Iowa's great, but Gonzaga just has that extra defensive level that that they put in, and it, it they end up winning by double digits. So I, I, there's no team in here that I, I think could come out. Virginia hasn't been Virginia this year, and there's a lot of people betting Iowa – or sorry, Ohio – in that game, I've noticed that the spread came all the way down to seven now, and it's getting close to six and a half. I'm actually considering maybe a Virginia play if it keeps getting lower. But, I mean, Tony Bennett, the thing that I'm looking at here is I I might bet on Tony Bennett because this is going to be a big spread when this comes into the the next round here. 
And if it's 12 or higher, I'm going to start looking into it. And it's probably going to be because Gonzaga did beat him by 20 points. But, you know, I'm not going to – Tony Bennett's such a great coach. I have such respect for him. But she has to think of it like this. Gonzaga's got a lot of pressure on them. You know, they're undefeated here. Coming into a tournament undefeated, put yourself in those kids' shoes, you know, a little bit tougher. But at the same time, most of my brackets, Adam, has Gonzaga in the Final Four. Probably the most common Final Four team I'm going to have is Gonzaga, uh, and it's because of the easiest quadrant. Yeah, it, it is a really easy draw, and, you know, Creighton certainly has their issues, and, and Creighton's not really a great team to back in this format anyway because they take so many jump shots, and, you know, I don't know. I mean, we'll kind of see where they end up playing their games. The problem for them is that their first game right out of the shoot here they have to play at Lucas Oil Stadium, which is the worst of the shooting backdrops without question of the venues that they'll be using here for the first and second round. So, you know, that 12 over five upset that everybody likes to kind of pick on, maybe Creighton is that five seed that goes down. And if that ends up being the case, then, you know, that makes Gonzaga's path even easier because what you want when you're trying to pick off a number one seed, to me at least, is you want a higher variance team. You want a team like a Creighton, and if they rain down from three, they could maybe find a way to win that game. I don't think that you see that with teams like Oklahoma or Missouri. You certainly don't see it with Virginia. Ohio's not there. You know, so Gonzaga, I mean, it's a walk, I think, to the Elite Eight here in this region. And the question is, who do they play from the bottom? Where, you know, on Monday's show with Kyle Hunter, I started making a case for USC because – I don't think Wichita State or Drake are that good of teams in that 11 versus 11 play-in game. Kansas, as you mentioned, they may not even survive Eastern Washington. Who knows? I think Oregon is you know, obviously a very strong team, and they'll have a tough game against Iowa in all likelihood in the second round. But you know, USC's played Oregon. You know, they, They're familiar with the Ducks if that winds up being the matchup. Iowa, we know their defense is you know, shoddy at best, I would say, even though they've played better defense here of late. I don't know. I started talking myself into USC to maybe make some kind of run. The problem is, even from a future standpoint, I mean, no matter who Gonzaga plays in the Elite Eight game, they're a massive favorite. So there's not even there's not even much hedging potential. Very true. And I was high on USC, and I did take a future on them, Adam. I took them at fifty to one, and then all of a sudden they lost to Arizona at home, and then it moves up to like sixty-six to one. And I'm like, ah. Well, Wish I knew that ahead of time. <laughs> the reason I took it is because USC is so tall. You know, they, they also, they, they have one of the best players, right? I mean, I, that's what you got to look at too is players because players make this tournament. They're stars. They want to show off what they have. Evan Mobley has been fantastic. Seven foot. The dude can score when he wants, you know, and then you of course have Isaiah Mobley there too at 6'10", right? The Mobley's just very hard to get your shot over them. There's one of those teams like a Florida state, man. Just very long, stretchy. They can run up and down the court, too. Yeah, they get cold every once in a while, but they're not the best three-point shooting team, but they only take 31% of their shots as threes. I mean, they know that. They're going to score inside. They're going to get offensive rebounds. They're going to put them in. Yeah, I, I have USC beating Iowa, too. There's nothing wrong with that. All right, so we'll go over to the South region here. We'll go clockwise, as we did on Monday's show, to kind of break things down a little bit here, where – Baylor is the number one seed, and, and I've seen Eric Haslam, who you did a podcast with last night, and I'm definitely going to check that out here uh, later this afternoon. But, you know, one of the things that I noticed, and, and he talked about this on Twitter today, make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Haslam Metrics. Baylor, since the COVID pause, has not been the same team. They've struggled defensively. They've given up over a point per possession 
in every one of their games. They haven't been the same offensively either. And, you know, when it comes to the NCAA tournament, you've got choices to make. Is it recent form or is it overall body of work? And what is it that you want to put your money behind? What is it that you want to believe in? And the more I read about Baylor this week and the more I kind of look into the Baylor Bears, I'm getting increasingly concerned about their chances to survive, not even just this region, but maybe even the top half of it. Well, Wisconsin's going to beat them next round, right? Isn't, isn't that, isn't that could, the way? Could be. I mean, <laughs> you want to talk about underseeded teams? Wisconsin being a nine is criminal. I mean, look, this is a team that's, what, top 20? At, you know, a lot of the metrics and ranking sites that are out there? Yeah, the smell test uh, put them up to nine for what they how they finished their season. But at the same time, something's wrong with a couple of their players. Like, I think Ravers got the yips. And Eric did mention that, too, and I agree with him. I've been saying that for the last three weeks or so. And But the problem with Wisconsin is you have seniors here, and they're, they're going to have a chip on their shoulder coming into this tournament. And how many years ago was it when they took out number one Villanova? Three, four years ago, man. And, and they were an eight seed. When that happened, right? So were they a, uh, a nine, I guess, against North Carolina's an eight, I believe here. So uh, Wisconsin's dangerous. And yeah, if I'm a Baylor bear, I look at Ken Palm. I look at Bart Torvik. I look at Haslametrics, and I'm like, are you kidding me? How is Wisconsin a, a, a nine seed here? It's kind of unfair. I mean, if I'm Baylor, I want North Carolina to win because Baylor can crush North Carolina based upon their turnovers and Baylor can actually rebound the ball. Wisconsin can't rebound the ball. That's the big difference there. So I I guess if I'm Baylor, I definitely want to play them. But yeah, Wisconsin was seeded wrong. I think Illinois actually got the worst of the shaft here, having to face uh, Loyola versus Georgia Tech, which should be really a three and four seed. But somehow the committee thought they were eight and nine. It kind of blows my mind there. But uh, yeah, it, it's strange. Here's the thing about Baylor. I watched their interviews after the Big 12 tournament, and they just said, "Look, we're going to play better defense." And that's and, and they had, I thought, the best defense in the league in December and January. And yes, the COVID pause happened, and maybe they forgot how to play defense, but they looked pretty serious and they looked pretty confident. And I tell you this, I like Baylor a lot before this all happened, and I think they needed this end of the season to get their stuff together. But at the same time, we're talking about them versus Hartford, and they're a 26-point favorite, Adam, and the total is 140. Hartford's offense is horrible. They rank 254th in offensive adjusted efficiency. <laughs> Their defense has like a small breath of life in them at 124th. But still, man, the American East Conference is pretty bad this year, and Hartford's not even the best team due to Ver- Vermont losing, right? So this is about defense for the Bears, and I will be shocked – if Hartford scores 50 points here, all right? Baylor stated they're going to make a huge attempt on defense this whole tournament. I'm taking the under. I don't think Baylor needs to blow this team out, and I think they win like 80 to 50, right? So take Baylor if you want, minus 26, but I don't think they keep pounding, putting the points on. I think they want to move into the next level. They know they have a lot of potential games in a very tough 8-9 matchup. I like the under, and I have it by 10 points here under 140. See, and I like that you go to that game, too, because, you know, what happens in this NCAA tournament for a lot of people out there that are maybe you know new to college basketball, bet it only at this time of the year, or just, you know, get caught up in, in all the fanfare of this tournament, they're going to be looking for angles to bet all the exciting games, the super exciting matchups. They will do as much mental gymnastics as possible to find a way to have a play on Texas Tech, Utah State, 
to find a way to have a play on LSU Bonaventure, something like that, and just dismiss these big spreads or these ugly quote-unquote games where I think there's value in those games. I think Baylor wins this game and covers this game. I think they win by 35-40. You know, and, and what you just said about them committing the defense makes me feel even better about it. I'd lay the big Baylor number. I also mm-hmm. think that you're you're kind of on the right track there with the under as well. But that's part of it is I look at this South region and Arkansas Colgate, fascinating game because the first team 90 wins. Texas Tech, Utah State, great game. Purdue, North Texas, I think is a really interesting game with a low total, a very low pace, a North Texas team that I like. I know Kyle Hunter likes him as well. Against a Purdue team that has some pretty well-defined home road splits. Everyone's a t- everyone's trying to attack Villanova here and bet on Winthrop because Gillespie's out and Villanova lost to Georgetown in the first game of the Big East tournament, so on and so forth. Look, I mean, I think there's some betting opportunities to be had in those games that everybody's talking about. But if you want to make money, you probably want to shy away from most of the games that everybody's talking about. And there are a lot of those types of games here in this region where, I mean, look, there's a lot of intrigue, not only in the first round, but as we go forward. But again, are are you in this for the entertainment value and the excitement, or are you in this to make money? And I think it's two very different approaches. (laughs) It's so funny how everybody talks about picking the 12, five, 12, yeah, 14, it's it it blows my mind 14 threes 13 fours i love it because it makes these public dogs such more fadeable when it comes into these situations man and this is why i say to wait it out because if they're talking about it on espn if they're talking about it on cbs who's your big 12-5 upset that's exactly what you want to wait for because there's nothing to this 12-5 upset. I don't care what the trend is on it. It's always matchup dependent. And the truth of is it that a five team plays a good, a 12 team's a good team. And that's why you see it. But that doesn't mean that the five team is not a damn good team trying to make a point as well. So it's always matchup dependent, but I always try to fade what's coming in. And some of these dogs are getting awfully a little bit over bet here. And that's when I'm going to try to pounce on it on the other side. Yeah, I think it's an excellent point and something maybe we can carry over to the Midwest region here as we slide down the board on the right side of the bracket where Illinois, the number one seed, but as you said, I mean, they, they really didn't get rewarded very much for that. The winner of Loyola Chicago, Georgia tech will be a tough game for them. And no offense, Drexel dragons fans, you will not be winning uh, this 16 versus <laughs> one game, Tennessee. Look, I mean, you know, we, we beat up on Rick Barnes on this show a lot, and he's not a very good tournament coach at all whatsoever, but he's got some talent there with the volunteers, Oklahoma state with one of the best players in the country and Cade Cunningham, Illinois did not get the, the nicest of draws here in the first part of this region. I think they still get through it, but you know, it's, it's kind of a, kind of an unfair to a degree draw for them. Very unfair. I mean, it's unfair for Loyola. It's unfair for Georgia Tech. I mean, imagine being a Chicago guy. You're kind of rooting for Illinois, and you're kind of rooting for Loyola. And then you see that you're kind of thinking maybe they might get in a Sweet 16, Lead 8, Final 4 for Loyola, and all of a sudden they have to play your other favorite team, I, Illinois. What the hell is that? Man? I don't know. I mean, Sister Jean's going to be there. <laughs> Sister Jean better uh, grab a basketball and, and start learning how to dribble because they're stepping up 
in class here. I think Sister Jean needs to go all uh, Tanya Harding on on Cockburn or somebody. I don't know what. I think she might be best used in that capacity here. I don't even think they make it past Georgia Tech here. And yeah, I would have liked Georgia Tech better had they not won the ACC tournament in this spot. But they're just a ball hawking type team, man. I mean, they steal the ball a ton. You know that game against Florida State? They had 25 turnovers on defense, and Florida State had seven. So Florida State turned over the ball 25 times. I mean, that's that's how they won. And Florida State was still in that game, showing how good Florida State is. But, I mean, you look at a team like uh, Loyola. I mean, this has kind of got public dog written all over it as well. What did Loyola do when they stepped up in competition, right? They lost to a Wisconsin team by, like, double digits, you know? Uh, that wasn't that impressive to me. This is so. Here's the thing for me. I mean, Loyal is a top ten team on Ken Palm, so everyone's screaming, "Why are they a number eight seed?" Whatever. Well, I, I don't think they're a number eight seed, but they're not a number three seed either. I think they're probably a top twenty, top twenty five team, in my opinion. And Krutwig's very tough to guard and and very difficult. But they're they're playing against a lot faster guys now here with Georgia Tech. And I'll tell you, Alvarado there. What a great guard. He's been way better than I thought he was. Moses Wright is huge presence inside. He's going to be defending uh, against Krutwig, and they're just going to be rotating off him. But uh, Loyola's got to be very sharp to beat this fast-paced Georgia Tech team because let's face it here, the Missouri Valley was bad this year, and it all started with uh, Northern Iowa's injury there to uh, uh, what's-his-face green, right? I mean – then they face Richmond, who we just talked about. Loyola loses to Richmond. They get to Drake, and yes, they blew him out in the second half. They're down in the first half of that game, and then Drake wins in overtime, and Drake's really beat up. And yeah, Loyola's top 25. Uh, Georgia Tech's probably top 20. I- I'm taking Georgia Tech in this game, Adam. Yeah, Georgia Tech up to three and a half now out there in some places, out there in the global markets. So, uh, definitely money coming in on Loyola here so far. Seems like Alvarado okay after that scare that he had uh, in the ACC tournament, but money's still coming in here on Loyola Chicago for that one. Uh, are there any other games from, you know, we kind of talked about the bracket from an overview standpoint here so far to this point. Um, you know, are there any games in terms of against the spread looks that you've kind of got in mind, whether it's from the Midwest or the South that we just talked about? Um, sure. I'll give you one. Everyone keeps talking about St. Bonaventure, right? And they're playing LSU. LSU, the spread's what, one and a half, two? I, I seen it at one. Everyone keeps how, talking about how they're going to beat the Tigers here. You know? I mean, do you think LSU's have, do you think they heard that by now, the, the kids that play for LSU? You know, do you think, think they watch the Dutch TV a little bit? You know, how the Bonnies are going to beat them. Everyone loves to say the name, the Bonnies, you know. Well, I'll tell you this, man. The big issue I have with St. Bonaventure is their depth. They have five guys that play over 80% of the minutes. They have one guy, their sixth man, that plays 33% of the game. The rest of them are like in the 10% range. They even want to get to those guys. What happens if they get tired playing an LSU team that plays in a superior conference who one tip shot away almost won the SEC there? And now they have, they, people think that they're going to beat this team. I think LSU all the way here. I know the Bonnies have a good defense, according to the efficiency rating on Ken Palm at 17. 
but I'm not buying that either. I don't think the Bonnies have the 17 best defense. And I don't think their conference is all that great. I think this is a time to bet LSU because LSU is going to, you know, come with their firepower here after losing by one tip shot in the SEC tournament. I'll let the public bet the Bonnies. I'll be on the Tigers. Yeah, I do like this one. I think LSU's got a puncher's chance against Michigan in the second round as well, where, I mean, they're just so good offensively that they can be a very dangerous team. I mean, they're sort of a poor man's version of Iowa in that I think the offense is pretty close, but defensively, Iowa is definitely better than LSU. At the same time, you know, in this one-and-done format, higher-variance teams can be very scary. And the thing about Bonaventure is – They're very projectable. We know what they're going to do. They're going to try and slow this game down as much as they can. I don't know if they have success doing that against an LSU team that will probably speed them up, force them to run a little bit. And the Bonnies don't have a good offense, as we've talked about already. And again, defensively, their numbers influenced by not really playing any semblance of a non-conference schedule for the most part. You know, they played Mm -hmm. against Akron and Hofstra and teams like that. So, you know, they didn't really get much of a non-conference schedule here. And LSU, I mean, in a much stronger conference, as you mentioned, they've had some ugly losses, to be sure. But, you know, still, I just think LSU is, their ceiling is a lot higher. And again, in this higher variance environment, I think that you kind of look for ceiling. You know, I don't know if you look so much at floor, but you look at ceiling. And LSU just has a much higher ceiling than St. Bonaventure has and even to look over in, you know, like the, the Midwest region, for example, San Diego State, I think, has a much higher ceiling than Syracuse. And I know people will talk themselves into Syracuse because the Orange have made some good runs there with Bayheim. And, yeah, the defense can be a little bit tough to play against if you don't see it, that zone defense and all of that. But to me, I think there's a reason why money's come in on San Diego State up from two to three And it's not because of the narrative of should Syracuse be in, should Syracuse be in a play-in game, this and that. San Diego State's a good shooting team from a pretty quality mid-major conference. And Syracuse, I I just don't think that they have the horses here where, yeah, their floor is high because they play defense the way that they do and they've got Bayheim and all that. They don't have the ceiling. And that's what I'm looking for in the first round here with against the spread betting is I'm looking for that ceiling. I want that team that I think their top-end performance makes it easy for them to cover the number. And I think a team like San Diego State, and especially a team like LSU, really fit that mold for me. Oh, absolutely. At San Diego State, they have a fantastic defense, and it's all about ball pressure for them. You know, so they're going to be in Syracuse's face here, you know. And I know Buddy Beheim and Quincy Guerrero and Alan Griffin's been doing well and but let's face it man when they when they it, for the most part when they went away you know they got in their butts kicked Duke beat them by 14 points on an away game Georgia Tech beat them by seven points right I mean it, until this tournament here when they beat NC State they were a pretty bad away team you know Clemson beat them Clemson so a profile if you want to put a profile together I think San Diego State and Clemson kind of have the same type of profile here you know, San Diego State doesn't guard the three that well. Uh, Clemson does. But at the same time, you know, San Diego State's, their defense is absolutely fantastic and they drain the opponents, you know. So I, I get that money coming in on San Diego State here. Over in the East region here, and again, we're just kind of jumping around through some games that I think are, are good talking points. 
Colorado and Georgetown seems to be a pretty polarizing game here. And, and both Kyle Hunter and I agreed on Monday's show that these are teams that we honestly wanted to fade in the first round of this tournament. And here they wind up now playing each other. We're Colorado, a five, five and a half point favorite, depending on where you look. Total 138 for that one. You know, we talked about it in, in a lesser degree with Appalachian State, a team that's in the Sun Belt, not a great conference. App State goes on a run at the right time, gets that bid. Maybe it kind of obscures what they did during the regular season. Georgetown effectively just did the same thing. Now, the Big East is clearly a lot better than the Sun Belt, but the Big East also isn't as good as it usually is. So Georgetown makes that run. And as I mentioned on Monday's show, look, the Hoyas were 23 for 23 at the free throw line in that one-point win over Villanova. So it took every one of those free throws for them to win that game, survive, advance, and of course now get into the NCAA tournament. But when I look at that one, I just... I, I feel like Georgetown just happened to get hot at the right time. And, and I don't know if it carries over here a few days after the fact. Great question. And does the Colorado's loss to Oregon state in the championship game motivate them? You know, I'll be honest with you. I made a play on Georgetown at plus five. Cause I just thought I was kind of gra- grabbing some value here and yeah, it went down a little bit. Then it went back up and I kind of regretted it for a while, but then I talked myself back into it. The thing is, is that it's, I think Georgetown is kind of a public play, you know, it it smells a little bit and I made it and I kind of feel disgusting over it. But uh, at the same time, I looked back and looked at some of the reasons why I made it. And it's really because Georgetown wasn't bad at the end of their season either. You know, I mean, yes, they lost to UConn and I thought UConn was going to win the big East tournament. I had them the whole way and, you know, they fizzled out there against Creighton in a very close game shot terrible, by the way. But at Georgetown, where they where they finished their seasons, they won four out of their last six games, and their only two losses in their last six games was against UConn. You know, they beat a, a desperate Xavier team. They beat Seton Hall pretty well too. You know, so it, I remember watching Georgetown earlier in the season. I'm like, man, if they quit turning the ball over, they could be a really good team. Well, I think they kind of did that. So they earned their way to the top. But my play was also based upon fading the Pac-12. I think that's a good way to get into this tournament. When you're let, when you're betting it, is you have to analyze to yourself who's the conferences that are really overrated and who's the conferences that are really underrated, you know. And that's kind of the same way you can pick your final four. You know, I think the Big Ten gets talked about a ton. I think they're slightly overrated. I think the SEC is very overrated because I do not like how they played their non-conference. They were not good in the non-conference, minus Missouri beating Illinois minus Florida beating West Virginia, who West Virginia doesn't play defense. I think the rest of them did a horrible job in their non-conference. So I'm going to be fading the SEC a little bit. But the Pac-12, there's nothing that tells me that I shouldn't be fading them, especially when you look at a metric on Haslam metrics about away from home. You know, Colorado is not a good uh, away from home team. As, as you know, they, they get a huge boost when they're at home because they're in the elevation. But as Ralph Michaels pointed out, a week ago in my podcast at the odds breakers, Colorado should be playing faster ball. They, they should take that elevation to their advantage, you know, but they don't do that. I don't think they're coached that well. I don't like how Colorado finished their regular season um, as much. I know they beat teams like Arizona state and everything. And they did beat USC at home. And for some reason they have USC's number. They, they beat them twice, but um, they lost to Cal away. They lost to Oregon away, and this was when Oregon was injured. 
So uh, I, I'm okay with my plus five. I'm just not in love with it anymore, Adam. All right, last thing I want to ask you about here, because I mentioned it in passing, but we've done a lot with the Big Ten on your previous segments here. So I have to ask you about number one seed Michigan down here in this East region and just get your thoughts on, you know, will they make a run? I mean, are they vulnerable? I personally think they're vulnerable against LSU, and I expect them to lose to Florida State in the Sweet 16 if both teams get there. So I am looking at a two-prong approach with LSU and Florida State to sort of fade Michigan a little bit here. Do you have a more optimistic outlook for the Wolverines? I wish I did, man. And I wish that Illinois was on that side. And I wish Michigan was on the other side, to be honest with you, because unfortunately I don't even have a big 10 team in my final four, you know, as a big 10 specialist, that's really tough for me to do, but I had to do it because that livers injury is so big for me. Livers is the heart and soul of that team. He's the team that brings them back when they're down. He's a team that hits those shots that just kind of pulls away I don't know if I'm Michigan, he's not playing the next game, right? He's not going to play the winner of that playing game. Maybe you even keep him out the whole weekend here, but that's going to be tough against LSU because LSU is going to put up points no matter what. I have Michigan advancing past them, but I do have them losing in the next round too, just because of that livers injury. Now maybe livers is good though. Coming into the sweet 16, maybe that extra week helps. Maybe he gets a shot in his foot maybe it doesn't affect him and then it's all beautiful again but the bracket I go by I have Florida State beating them just because Florida State's got all that height and I think that's where they're going to lose to Hunter Dickinson down there right you know Davis has been banged up for Michigan man I, I I have Florida State beating them I actually have Florida State and UConn in my elite eight game Adam and oh, wow. uh yeah, yeah, I have UConn. I'm not a huge believer in Alabama. Like I said, I'm fading the uh, the uh, SEC a little bit. And uh, UConn is a team that plays some great defense. And now that they have Booknight back, I think their offensive numbers have not been adjusted correctly yet. I mean, Booknight missed a huge portion in the middle of the season, you know, and they're still winning games when that happens. So, um, I, you know, I mean, you can pick your poison, Texas, uh, Alabama. I'll just go with UConn because I think that, they're just as good as those teams roughly. And that's how you win your brackets, but Florida state's that really long team that I do have in my final four here, but if livers is okay and he's playing, then it's Michigan for me. But if Illinois was on this side of the bracket, I would have Illinois for sure in the final four. And on the other side, I have uh, Oklahoma state in my final four Uh, just too much upside with Cunningham and likely back. And I mean, these Oklahoma state is, the only reason they lost Texas because Texas could not miss a shot and that happens. And then I have Baylor versus Gonzaga and I have those two teams in the final game. Pick your poison with that. I'll just pick Baylor because everyone's picking Gonzaga. All right. Fair enough. Sounds good. Great breakdowns on today's show from Kiev O'Neill from the odds breakers. As I talked about already, uh, you did a podcast with Chris Farley, one of the writers for you over at the odds breakers. Then also Eric Haslam from Haslam metrics. So I'm going to check that show out later today. Certainly encourage our listeners to do the same. But what else do you have going on over at the Odds Breakers right now? Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, Adam. And Chris does a fantastic job and works his ass off for us. He's really winning the NBA, too, and kicking butt in the NCAA. So great, great job to Chris and and Eric Haslam. His metrics are different than the other stuff that you see. So make sure you guys check that podcast out. He explains a lot of it and a lot of his methodologies, methodologies to get to where he gets to for his games. And it's not much different than what you see from Ken Palm, but he gets there a different way, which gives you different angles to bet on. 
at the Ozbreakers, we have a free tournament for you guys, man. We're giving away 500 bucks. You don't even have to pay to get into this tournament. Why not get into it? All you have to do is write a five-star review or, or share the podcast on Twitter, take a screenshot, shoot it to admin at theozbreakers.com, and you're in. Maximum two brackets per household. Have your wife fill one out. Have your dog fill one out. Doesn't matter to me. Uh, this thing's getting big, and uh, hopefully you, can guys, you guys can get in, and uh, hopefully you all win. Well, there you go. Sounds great. Make sure you follow Kiev on Twitter at the odds breakers. And I'm going to get this right. I think it's at Kiev OB, right? OB Kiev, but it doesn't matter because, because if you search it out that way, I'm sure you're going to find me either way. I have Twitter handle dyslexia, I guess here uh, with with your, with your personal Twitter, but I do know at the odds breakers on Twitter, definitely the easiest one to check out there for Kiev O'Neill. Great stuff. Chris does great stuff over there as well. Shout out to him. I know he's a listener to my show. Uh, it's great to see him thriving over on your website as well. But uh, should be a lot of fun this weekend, man. I can't wait to talk about it next week. Oh, man. Always can't wait. Best of luck, Adam. We'll be texting back and forth. Absolutely. There you go. There's Kiev O'Neill once again from theoddsbreakers.com. Follow him on Twitter at theoddsbreakers. Uh, great stuff there with him as always. Coming up on Wednesday, we'll chat with professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. We'll talk FCS college football for this weekend and some more NCAA tournament Friday. I'll do baseball solo segment on the betters box. I'll get that out to you before the games tip off here on Friday. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.